Good morning, church. How you doing? Good. Hey, if you're here on campus, good morning to you. If you're online, good morning as well. We're in week three now of our series, Unmask, Daring to Discover Your True Identity. And so we've arrived at week three, but I'm aware that maybe some of you have missed a Sunday over the last two weeks, or maybe you're with us for the very first time this Sunday. And if that's the case, I'd like to catch up with what we've talked about. I'd like to bring you to the same spot this morning. And so if you'd allow me uh, to summarize the last two Sundays, I'd like to do that in one sentence. Can I summarize the last two Sundays in one sentence for you? This is it. We can be fully known and fully loved despite our horrible, sinful nature. That we can be fully known and fully loved despite our sinful nature. Nature. That's what we've discussed the last two weeks, that we can be fully known by God and by others and still be fully loved if we just take off the mask and we stop pretending and we be ourselves and we surrender that to God. And that he'll love us even though we are messed up people every single day. Amen? Celebrate that with me. Right? Yeah. We can be fully known and fully loved. And so that's where we are. We've arrived at week three, daring to discover our true identity, and I'm hoping that you walk away with today with another truth uh, in your hand this morning, in your heart. And to do that, I want to show you a chart. Now, if you've, um, if you've ever dabbled in psychology or, or teaching, you may recognize something of this effect. There's multiple different types of charts that show growth process over time, but uh, this is one that, that I came across and I really like You know, we're all unique people, but we tend to follow a similar process as we age. We tend to go through a similar progression over time, and it all starts at the very beginning in infancy, right? When, when, when you're born, you're this little baby, and what is your singular need to live, right? Your job is to survive, and, and so in this phase, you begin to learn who you can trust and, and who you cannot trust. As an infant, it's all about who you can trust to feed and clothe and change you. And so we all start at this basic level of learning to trust or mistrust others. And then we age a little bit, and we move into this toddler phase. If you've got little kids, you know this phase well, right? They're starting to take their steps. They're starting to make decisions. Sometimes they make really good decisions, Most of the time, they make really bad decisions, right? And our job is to, as parents, reward a lot of times or punish. And so in this this toddler age, we learn what is rewarded in life, good behavior, good attitudes, and we learn what is punished in life. And we continue to take steps. We continue to exercise our freedom. Really, this is a, a graduation of freedom. As you go, you learn how to navigate freedom. We get into the grade school years, you start tying your own shoes. I hope you can tie your shoes today. Uh, my nine-year-old still, <laughs> still working on it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you start to tie your shoes, you start to brush your teeth, you do all these things on your own, right? You develop this autonomy, this little bit of independence. And as you continue to do that, you arrive here. In this lovely little age bracket we call teenagerism. Right, you arrive to the teenage years, and if you are a teenager in this room this morning, God bless you. If you are raising a teenager, God bless you twice. Um, right, I will have that job eventually as well. But when we get to this age, this is where things really begin to get confusing. Because it's here that all of our past experiences 
And all of our future hopes and expectations begin to take shape and form what will become our core identity, what will become who we think we are. We launch out of this time frame with this sense of who we are or maybe who we're not, right? This, this explains why one moment you have a happy baseball playing kid and the next you have a moody teenager wearing skinny jeans and you don't know what to do with that. Because you're like, this is not the same kid that I've been raising the last 12 years. Something has changed. And what is happening is they're trying to develop their own sense of identity, but it's a little confusing. We've all been through this stage before, right? It's during this stage, again, that our past experiences and future hopes and expectations begin to collide as we figure out who we are. And a lot of times, depending on what happens in this stage of life, will determine how well we progress through the rest, right? A lot of times we'll launch out of this phase with a solid sense of identity and confidence and go out and conquer the world. And sometimes we don't really nail this down. And so we kind of wander and drift through life because we're not quite sure who we are. Identity formation is a big deal. And that's why if you're a parent of a, of a kid or especially a teenager, I want to encourage you to get them involved in our student ministry. If you're online and you haven't made it on campus, I encourage you to do that if you've got a teenager. Because the messages that they hear in that time period will greatly impact the rest of their life. Now, there's a reason why every commercial and advertisement and progressive movement and wokeism and all these things that you hear about, it's all geared toward the teenager. And why is that? Because it's in that time period that you're the most impressionable. You're open to the question of, who am I? And people would love to answer that question for you and to plant a seed in your mind, right? You get something to grow in the mind of a child, you're much more successful than trying to change an old person who's stuck in their ways. So all these crazy ideas are forced and they have incredible access to ideas that you and I never had access to when we were growing up. All the Netflix shows and the social media and internet access and all these things that they have access to, if you don't manage that well, you can mess with them. Because there's so many messages coming in all at once that there is confusion. And so if you're a parent, get your kid involved in kids ministry or student ministry because it will pay off. Hopefully that will be a really good investment in this age so that by the time they get here, you're not dealing with broken adults. You can fix younger children. And so it's important that we focus on our identity formation. And, you know, I wonder, though, if any of us today are maybe stuck. Are any of us stuck in that identity development stage? You may be an adult, right? You may be a grown man this morning, but you're still not really sure who you are. You're still not really sure you've nailed down who you are. It's like we're stuck in this identity phase. Maybe that's why college kids go to, go to college for like 10 years now, right? They're like 30 years old before they graduate because they got to spend a whole decade doing what they should have done when they were a teenager, trying to figure out who they are. But maybe some of us are still stuck trying to figure out who we are. And so let me ask you this question this morning. Who are you? It's a great song, by the way, written by The Who. It's been in the bumper video in case you haven't heard that, right? Who are you? Who are you? If you were to answer that question just right off the cuff, if somebody were to, were to come up to you and say, who are you? How would you answer? 
What would be the answer you would give to that question? And as I thought about that, I thought, I bet there's some commonalities. I bet there's some common buckets we draw from to answer that question. So I bet many of your answers would come from one of these categories. Who are you? You would likely list your successes. Some of you might focus on your failures or your flaws. Some of you might focus on your history, your, your family of origin. Some of you may answer with what other people think about you. And some of you may answer with circumstances. And then here's what it looks like. Who are you? You may say, well, I'm a really successful business owner. I, I run this business or, or my family is this or I do that and I have this great career and, and you tend to list off all your successes because that's what you feel really good about. But maybe that's just a mask we put on to cover up a fear of failing or fear of not being adequate. And so we're driven to success. And so you would say, well, I am successful. Right? Others of us may be drawn to, to focus on our failures. We're not so confident in our successes. And so we would say, well, you know, I'm, I, I didn't really go to college. Uh, I'm not that, that good of a person. I'm kind of a lousy father. You know, my dad was a lousy dad. And so that just rubbed off on me and, and I'm messed up. And you tend to just self-loathe and, and don't see any positive things about yourself. You might answer the question with who you are with your failures, your flaws, as if those are your core identities. Uh, you might be prone to describe yourself in terms of your family history. You might say, well, my dad was so-and-so. He was the founding member of this such-and-such organization. Or my mom was this person. Or I'm a descendant of these people. And, and so you would actually answer the question with who you are with who somebody else is. Because you don't have a great answer. Right? You might be prone to describe yourself based on what other people say. Right? You might say, well, I'm extroverted, uh, people say I'm funny, people say this, people say that. And so you might say, well, I am these things that people have told me I am. You might answer with other people's opinions, or you might focus on your circumstances. You might say, well, right now I'm unemployed. Uh, who I am, I'm unemployed, I'm struggling financially, uh, these things are happening, my wife left me, my husband left me, these circumstances, and you would say, that's who I am. And it can be dangerous to answer our question of who we are with anything from these categories. And I know I have fell, fell victim to that before. Right? I know I have defined myself based on these items. Right? By the time I was 23 years old, I'd been married for five years. I'd graduated college debt-free with my master's degree. I was working my first professional job as a teacher, and I was really good at it. Right? I had a lot of successes. And so I've had this feeling of like, man, I, I know what I'm doing. I got a good handle on life at 23 years old. I saw a couple of you older gentlemen kind of smile there, right? You, you're like, been there, been there, right? And then in July of 2010, the ground shifted beneath my feet. Have you ever experienced something in life that just came out of nowhere, it seemed like, and just shook you? The ground shifted beneath your feet. In July of 2010, as I'm turning 23 years old, my father-in-law is killed in a motorcycle accident. And we have to bury him on July 4th weekend. And then two weeks later, I had a pre-scheduled trip to Haiti. Now, I was on a worship team. I was serving in the church. I mean, I'm doing all those things. Like, Christians go on mission trips, right? That's what you're supposed to do. So I did, and I went overseas, except I found out I'd never been anywhere unsafe in my entire life until I went to a foreign country. I don't know if you know this, but Haiti is unsafe. I learned that in the moment and came down with my first panic attack. By the way, I'm in Haiti and I'm realizing, wow, I think maybe I abandoned my wife to bury her father. 
And so I'm wrestling with this, and I come home, and I've got these series of panic attacks that are going on. I can't even go to work at this job that I've worked so hard to get. And then on top of that, i got to have my wisdom teeth pulled. Now, I share that with my wife. She said that's not an important detail. But I think it is. That's a big deal. Here I am. I'm a young man. I've got all these things going on. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for panic attacks and wisdom teeth and sleepless nights. I've got a job to do. I've got, I got things I've got to get done. And what I come to realize over the next decade of time is that I had a lot of stuff going on underneath the hood that I was not aware of. There were some past sins in my teenage years that I allowed to just eat at me on the inside. Yeah, I'd been forgiven, but I'd never forgiven myself. I had a deep fear of failure, a deeply rooted fear of failure that drove my successes, not any confidence. It was a fear that I'm going to jack this up and I better do all the right things. There's this fear of failure and this perfectionism, this bent toward perfectionism as a mask to cover up the fact that I knew I was going to fail, but I really didn't want to fail, so I'm going to try to work really hard not to fail. You see the vicious cycle. And psychologists might call that an identity crisis, a moment in your life when something happens and it shakes you to your core. Have you ever experienced anything like that. Or maybe you're going through a situation like that now. I don't know each individual circumstance. Maybe you are in a place in your life where something's happening and it's, it's causing some tension internally because you thought you were one person or one thing and now you're discovering something else is going on. Right, we call that a lot of times like an identity crisis. And the reason why it's a crisis, the reason why it's a, a problematic to attach our identity to successes or failures or opinions or circumstances is that those things always change. Those things don't stay the same over time. And so here's a question for you. How can we have a solid identity if we anchor to moving things? I mean, think about it. Success and failure and circumstance and opinions will have to change over time. And as they change, if we've anchored our identity to those things, then our identity shifts. And so we're just blown about and tossed by the wind, trying to figure out who we are in life. I mean, really, how much credit can I take for the, circumstance, for the successes or failures in my life? I mean, we live in a world that is radically out of our control. If anything's taught us, if we've learned anything in the last year, it's that we don't have a whole lot of control over things, do we? Right? Inflation will, will creep up, economies will crumble, pandemics will spread worldwide, diagnoses will still happen, cancer will still strike, there will still be things that are beyond our control. And if I choose to anchor myself in things that move, then I never really know who I am. And so this morning, as we continue to dare to discover our true identity, I want to offer you a truth that is found in Scripture that is solid. And that you can anchor your identity to, and it will never change. It is unmovable. No force, good or evil, will ever be able to change the truth that I'm about to share with you. And I hope that by the end of the service, you can anchor your identity to this truth. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Let me show you in Scripture where we find that. It's in the very first book, first page, first chapter. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Can you see it? Right, we want, we want to spend our whole lives answering the question, who are we? And God answered it on the, in the first chapter of his book. In the first chapter, God says, you are made in my image. That is your identity. You are an image of me. I created you. And yet somehow we spend our whole lives trying to wrestle with this who am I question. And we put on these masks of success or failure or opinions and all these different things that we try to answer that question with. And God's saying, listen, it's right here. The truth is in front of us the entire time. And yet it's like we can't see it. Why is that? Why is it that we cannot just seem to be secure in who we are? It's because something really important happened in the very next chapter of Genesis. And that is that we sinned. And that is that sin entered the world and that fractured us. It shattered what we knew about ourselves. It was an identity crisis. Right? Sin brought the question, who are we into existence? It wasn't like Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden going, who am I? I wonder if I'll be successful in life. Right? They didn't have to wrestle with that. It was perfection. They were in harmony with God, with themselves, and with others. There was, there was no questioning who they were. They knew they were made in the image of God. He walked with them daily, and things were peaceful and perfect. And then sin entered the world, and from that very moment, we began to question, who are we? Right, the serpent made them question, who is God? What did he tell you to do and what, he, what did he tell you not to do? And so we begin to wrestle with who we are. It becomes this lifelong question that we spend so much time answering. And so many different people and groups have tried to answer that question throughout history about who we are. A secular science would tell you that you're not made in the image of an invisible God. You're made in the image of an invisible process. That somehow you are made in the image of an ape. Now, an ape may have toes and fingers, but it doesn't reason. It doesn't think. It doesn't love. It doesn't stare at the sunset and wonder about its existence. If you've been to the zoo anytime recently, you know this. You're not made in the image of another animal. You're made in the image of God. Nothing can change that. Only that which is stamped with the image of God has the qualities to think and reason and love and act in free will. Being made in the image of God is what separates us from the rest of God's creation. Others would try to tell you who you are, that, that you are made in the image of the group you belong to. Uh, this is called identity politics. It's kind of a... a, a, a catchphrase that people use now, but essentially the idea is that uh, based on your race or gender or your politics, that, that you are an image of the group you belong to. And that's a dangerous place to be because groups and opinions and beliefs change over time. So that can't be a great thing to anchor ourselves to. All right, we got to anchor ourselves to the fact that we are made in the image of God. There are plenty of people and plenty of movements and plenty of groups that will try to define who you are based on what they want you to believe. But you gotta resist it because the Bible says otherwise. Maybe to put all this in perspective, let me show you a picture of two people I love. These are my kids. I don't know about you, but I think they're pretty adorable. If you don't agree, well, anyways. 
All right, they, these are my kids, Noah and Kate. Now, my wife and I tease because my son looks so much like her and my daughter looks so much like me. Like we have our own, we each have our own child, right? It's like, oh yeah, he's clear, she's, she's clearly yours, right? People will say, and I love that, right? My children are made in my image. Imago Dei is the phrase that the Bible uses to, to describe in the likeness of. That we are made in the image of God and my children are, are made in the image of me. They have my characteristics, Sometimes they, they, they show really good characteristics. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's my child. Other times I'm like, I don't know whose child that is, right? But they are made in my image. I created them. Not, not literally, I know God created them. I get that, right? But I got to play a role in that whole process. And so they are mine. They are my children. And I love them. See, they are made in my image. And because they are made in my image, that means a few things. There's a few things that come with that truth. One, I love them unconditionally. And if you're a parent, you know the love you have toward a child. If my son or daughter became the most successful person that I ever lived, I wouldn't love them more and I wouldn't love them less. I would continuously love them because my love goes on forever. It doesn't, it's not, it's not based on what they do or don't do. I love them unconditionally. First Chronicles says this, give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his faithful love endures forever. You are loved unconditionally. I want you to know that this morning. You are loved unconditionally, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of other people's opinions, regardless of your successes or failures. God loves you despite all that. He doesn't love you more if you lead a successful business or are a stay-at-home mom. He doesn't love you less if you mess up or make mistakes. You are made in his image. He loves you eternally without end. And it reminds me of a movie I watched recently. And it follows the story of this father and son relationship. And he raises this beautiful little boy who grows up to become a drug addict. It's based on a true story. And it really focuses on how the father responds to the fact that this beautiful little boy he raised became a drug addict. And it started with simple things and then it progressed into hard substances as he continued to chase that high that would never satisfy. And the theme that threads through the whole movie is that the father's love never changes. He loved his beautiful boy as much in his difficulties as he did when he was a little boy. And yeah, there were times when his father was disappointed. There were times when, when his father was frustrated. There were times when his father had to draw a hard line and say, this is what you can and can't do. But his love never changed. It reminds me of a story in scripture that we know of called the prodigal son, where the father's love didn't change, even though his son had squandered his wealth and ran away. That's how it is with God. Yes, we will mess up, and yes, we will make mistakes. Sometimes we grieve God, and sometimes uh, there's going to be discipline and hard lines drawn, but his love doesn't change. He loves you unconditionally, despite your successes or your failures. All right, I love my kids. They are made in my image. They are an image of me, and that means that they are incredibly special to me. They have a place in my heart that no other human being on this earth could ever fill. Look at Psalm 139 with me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I want you to know this morning that you are special. You are special to God because you are made in his image. You are loved unconditionally, eternally loved, and incredibly special. Your life is valuable because you are made in the image of God. All life is valuable because it is made in the image of God. And that's why God spends so much time in scripture talking about how we treat other people, not to murder and not to commit adultery and to treat one another as well as we can, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because we are made in his image. Every single person, whether you love them or hate them, they all have the image of God on them. And so life is incredibly valuable. Yes, life, the unborn life in the mother's belly to the old person on the deathbed and every person in between, life is incredibly valuable because it's made in the image of God. Of God, Listen, I want you to know this morning that you are loved unconditionally and you are incredibly special to God because you are made in his image. I love my children and that means that I will care for them. Doesn't mean I'll always give them what they want. We all know the danger of that, right? But it means that I'll listen to their needs. I know what they need. Look at this passage with me. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable. You are more value than many sparrows. I don't know what your situations are in life. Some of you may be going through some really difficult seasons of trying to figure out what's going on in life and what's coming next. But God knows you. And he knows what's happening in your life. And sometimes he can feel distant But that doesn't mean his love isn't there. It doesn't mean that you're not special. You're loved and you're special and God will care for you. And he will provide for your needs. You are his creation. You are made in his image. Another truth that comes with the fact that we are made in his image is that we represent him. Now, that's a good and a bad thing. Like I love when my my kids do something well and I'm like, hey, that's my kid. When they do something poorly, I'm like, I don't know whose kid that is. That is, you know, like they represent me and that's how it is with God. Look at these two passages. Paul says it this way. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Peter said it this way. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Being made in the image of God means that we represent him. That's, one way, that's why when we harm others, it can sometimes harm people's images of God. Because we are an image of him. And so we have to be really aware of how we treat other people in our lives. From our children to our parents to the people that we don't even know. Right, We represent God because we are made in his image. Uncle Ben told Peter Parker in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's true. We are made in God's image's image and therefore we represent him. I love my children unconditionally. They are special. I will care for them. They represent me and that also means that I will discipline them. Every parent knows that discipline has to happen. You know that kid that's not disciplined. Everybody knows that kid. 
Right, you know that kid, you're like, I do not want to be near that kid for a while. That kid needs a whipping. Right, that kid needs something. Something needs to happen in that kid's life because there is no discipline occurring. You all know that kid. Right, you're, you're probably mentally picturing one right now that you know of. Could be your grandkid. Right, but I will discipline my children. Look at, look at how it's described in Scripture. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There will be times in our lives when discipline comes, when God does things in our lives that we don't necessarily like and that can be painful but there will be fruit that comes out of it because God disciplines those he loves. And so I want you to know this morning that you are loved unconditionally. You are special in the eyes of God. And he will care for you because he knows your needs. And he will discipline, but out of love. And maybe most importantly, because I love my children so much, I would die for them. If you're a parent, you know that feeling, don't you? There's no, there's no doubt about it. You would lay down your life in an instant if it meant your child could live. All right, I love my children so much, I would willingly give my life. Romans says it this way, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this. God died for you. God died for me. Think about that. He loves you so much. You are so special and you are so loved and cared for that he gave up his own life so that you and I could live. That's an amazing truth. And that's only true because we are made in his image. He loves us so much. And so the identity I want you to walk away with this morning is that you are made in the image of God. And that means you are loved and you are special and you are cared for and you are disciplined and your life was purchased and redeemed in Christ. Let me ask you two questions as kind of reflection here. Do you live like you're made in the image of God? Would people know that about you if they interacted with you? Do they see God in the way that you treat others or do they see the mask that you've put on? The image you want people to see. It's important that we live in our true identity. Otherwise, we'll just keep bouncing through life trying to figure out who we are because we've not anchored ourselves to the unchanging truth that you are made in the image of God. 
You know, sometimes um, to really grab hold of a truth, sometimes to really let something sink in, we've got to repeat it to ourselves over and over. You ever, you ever like told yourself something over and over and you eventually begin to remember it and, and learn it? And so in that spirit, uh, we want to sing a song over you this morning. And so the band's coming in, they're getting set, and we're going to uh, sing a song. And the chorus of this song says, we are made in the image of God, beautiful shades of love. That we are made in the image of God, and that's where the light comes from. And so over the next three or four minutes, I want to invite you to do uh, one or multiple of of a few things. You may just need to sit this morning in silence and just allow the words of the song just to sink into your heart and mind. Maybe for you, you just need to sit over the next three or four minutes and just allow God to speak to you, to confirm in you the fact that you are his child and you are an image of God. Others of you, you may need to, to, to surrender to him. You may need to lay down your life, take off the mask and stop pretending. And if that's the case, I, I, I hope that you pray through that, that you stop by and see one of our volunteers after the service. For others of you, you may need some special prayer this morning. So our elders are going to come down and they're going to be in front of the stage here. They're going to go ahead and make their way now. And if you would just like to receive some prayer, these guys love Jesus and they love you. They want to help you find and follow him. And and these guys love to pray with others. Their prayers aren't necessarily special, but they're meaningful. And so if you just just are going through something in your life, or you're like, man, I just, I I need someone to pray with me this morning. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment. There's no pressure. You just come down and let these guys pray with you. So maybe you sit and reflect. Maybe you sit and pray. Maybe you come and receive some prayer this morning. But you do what, what you need to do over the next three to four moments, three to four minutes as you reflect on the fact that you are made in the image of God.